As much as we hate suffering, as much as we hate pain, as much as we hate anxiety, oftentimes those are great reminders to us that we are small and God is big, that God is God and we are not, and that's ultimately what sets us free. The voice of pastor and author Tullian Tavidjian opening this week's edition of First Person. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Wayne Shepherd. He's the grandson of Billy and Ruth Graham, but Tullian Tavidjian has his own unique story of coming to grips with faith, and you'll hear it today when we begin in just a moment. Today's interview and all past programs are conveniently archived on our webpage, firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the Listen button for a complete list of conversations. Once again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. And we're found on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Our guest today has recently released a book titled Glorious Ruin, How Suffering Sets You Free. He's also the senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, one of America's most well-known churches. He followed Dr. D. James Kennedy in that position, which is a big part of his personal story, as you'll hear today. But as we began our conversation, it was on my mind to ask Tullian about the influence of his famous grandparents, and I asked him for a favorite story. Oh, boy, I have so many. Um, one of the things that people often ask is, you know, do you did you get to know your grandparents? You know, assuming that because he was so busy and so famous that he was a very distant grandfather that we never really got to see when the fact of the matter is we got to see him all the time. Um, very, very present in our lives continues to be, my granddad does continues to be very, very present in my life and the life of his grandchildren. Um, so because we were able to spend so much time with both of them growing up, I have so many stories, uh, that I could tell, about the two of them. I think the thing that sticks out for me the most, however, is the fact that I went through a very, very rebellious season in my life where I dropped out of high school at 16 years old and I got kicked out of my home at 16 years old. And, um, you know, my, my grandparents would have been perfectly justified to sort of pull me aside and say, you know, you need to get your act together. I mean, you're our grandson and people know who we are and, you know, you should, at least for our sake, would you please clean up your act so that you don't hurt the family name or something like that? (laughs) And that was the time when my grandparents drew the closest to me. Hmm. Uh, It was the time when I can remember distinctly them telling me either over the phone or in person how much they loved me, how much they were there for me, that if I ever needed anything to never hesitate to let them know, that if there was something I wanted to tell them and I didn't want to tell my parents that, you know, I could tell them in confidence. And I mean, they just really, they really moved in very closely. Um, and you know, I just, I, I look back at that now, now I'm the, I'm a parent of two teenage boys and a preteen girl. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the amazing grace that my grandparents showed us and how carefree they were about their own reputation. I mean, that never, ever came up. Um, it would have been very easy for my granddad, for instance, and people often ask because he's a preacher, did he ever do this? But, you know, pull me aside and say, no, let me tell you something. You know what your real problem is? Your real problem is you need to get right with Jesus. I mean, it's 
because you're not right with Jesus that you're... I mean, he could have easily said that. Mm -hmm. He could have preached a thousand sermons to me and never did, because he knew that my greatest need at that point was not additional information. My greatest need at that point was for God to do something in my heart, and he knew that only God could do it. So they just loved me. Uh, he used to counsel my mom and dad during that very difficult season in my life. They, he just would counsel them and say, you know, love and patience, love and patience, love and patience. It's precisely the way God deals with us. It's it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance and those sorts of things. So, so the grace and the gospel and the Christ that he spent his entire lifetime telling the world about uh, is something he really believed himself and walked it out. And I can give first person testimony to the fact um, <laughs> that they, you know, my grandparents are the real deal. I mean, they really are the real deal. Um, you know, just, I think, you know, just some of the characteristics that have made him stand out even to non-Christian people, like his humility and his integrity and uh, just his faithfulness over the years. I mean, all of those things uh, are all so true. I mean, we, I've, I've watched it. Um, I've seen it. I've experienced it. So, so I don't know if that's what you were going for in terms of, I'm sure it, it would be more entertaining to have a, a funny story. Uh, but those are the ones that stick out the most because those are the ones that God used to really shape me and change me the of most. Of course, I would I would uh, always want that picture of grace that you just painted. That's a marvelous mm. portrait. And, of course, uh, your grandparents went through it with your Uncle Franklin, so maybe they gained, gained some wisdom from that whole experience, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, my grandmother, uh, she died in 2007. At the time of her death, she was one of my very best friends in the whole world. I mean, her and I were very close. I still grieve uh, her loss. I mean, when I go through something difficult with my children, she's the first person that I want to call and seek counsel from. She was just the best of the best. Um, and of course, she learned all of her wisdom all of her on-the-ground practical wisdom in the crucible of pain yep. as a parent herself. Yeah, uh, true. So, you know, uh, I, I miss her dearly, but she did have she did have plenty of wisdom for my mother <laughs> going through the stuff that my mother was going through with me because of what she had been through with her own children. Well, what happened in your life? When, when did things begin to turn around spiritually for you? Well, as I mentioned, I dropped out of high school at 16. I got kicked out of my home at 16, and that was the culmination of about four or five years of real rebellion and running from God. Um, I, I'm one of seven kids, the middle of seven children, grew up in a loving, loving, fun Christian home. The flavor of Christianity that was expressed in my house growing up was not legalistic or oppressive. It was warm. It was hospitable. It was comical. Um, I mean, I just I grew up in a wonderful environment. But being the middle of seven kids can present its own challenges. Um, and so uh, at times I felt like I was the youngest of the older three. At other times I felt like I was the oldest of the younger three. Sometimes I felt like a middle child. Other times I felt like an only child. Um, so uh, I, I struggled. I mean, in terms of just, you know, my identity and all of those things, I, I struggled as a preteen. And when you're desperate and you're young and foolish like I was, and you're longing to belong, you're longing to fit somewhere, um, you make some pretty unwise choices in terms of the people that you hang out with and the things you allow yourself to do and be a part of. And um, and so I, I really started to give my parents a very hard time, you know, about the time I was 13, 14 years old, things 
really spiraled out of control for me by the time I hit 16 years old. Uh, wasn't doing Christian bad stuff. I was doing non-Christian bad stuff. <laughs> and there's a difference. The one thing that I joke with my Uncle Franklin about, I said, listen, you smoked cigarettes and drank whiskey. That's, that's like Christian bad. I was non-Christian bad. <laughs> um, I mean, I was, I, I really was terribly rebellious. Um, got into everything imaginable. Uh, by the time I was 15, 16 years old. So my parents tried everything. They tried counseling and homeschooling and Christian school and public school. And I mean, you, you name it, they tried it. It finally got to the point where they said, we have six other kids living in our house. If you continue, I mean, we love you, but you can't continue to live this way under our roof. So they, they asked me to leave. Uh, I then dropped out of high school and I thought this was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I really did. 16 years old, no parents breathing down my neck. Uh, you know, no teachers looking over my shoulder. I was finally free to pursue everything I wanted to pursue as a young 16 year old guy living in South Florida where pleasure is plentiful. Um, so I, uh, I began pursuing pleasure with all of my might. And the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but when that season comes to an end, you're left with a gaping hole in your soul that only God is big enough to fill. And that season came to an end for me at 21 years old. And it wasn't, it wasn't one particular event or one particular crisis. It was just this culminating sense of there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to who I am than what this world is telling me. I mean, I was drinking very deeply from the wells of this world, uh, pursuing everything the world was telling me to pursue to find happiness. Um, and I was, I was successful uh, in in accomplishing what the world told me to accomplish in order to be happy. And I wasn't happy. Uh, I found myself, um, you know, on, on the, when I started looking for freedom by doing my own thing and becoming my own person, I realized that all of the things that I pursued to find freedom had actually made me into a slave, slave to desires and habits that were quickly destroying me. So, so God brought me to the end of myself in the fall of 1993 and like I said, it wasn't a particular moment or a particular event or a particular crisis. It was just this culminating sense of desperation. Um, well, let and, me ask you, what, what part did people or the word, what, what, what happened? What was the breakthrough? Well, um, you know, I, I'm not sure I can point to any one thing other than the remarkable foundation that my parents had laid the foundation of unconditional love that my parents had laid for me. And they really did, both my mom and my dad, along with my grandparents, as I already mentioned, really, really did provide me with a tangible picture of the love of Jesus, the unconditional love of Jesus. I mean, they had to exercise tough love uh, in terms of telling me I had to leave, but never was that tough love exercised in coldness. I mean, it was always warm. I never doubted for one second that my mom and dad loved me. Never, ever, ever. Even when they were being rough on me and tough on me, I never, ever doubted that they loved me. Um, And so I think it was the combination of the remarkable foundation of unconditional love that my parents had laid for me and my brothers and sisters from the time we were small uh, with this sort of culminating sense that the world is not all that it's cracked up to be. Hmm. And those two things combining like a perfect storm just painted for me this remarkable contrast of, you know, what, what God promises 
on the one hand and what the world offers on the other. And when that contrast was put before me um, very tangibly and very clearly through my own experience, uh, you know, from a human standpoint, it was a no brainer. (laughs) It was like, wow, this is, you know, God's, God's love and the love of my family uh, is so much more attractive and so much warmer um, than what this world has to offer. And so, so it was, it was, and, and that's the same story that basically anybody could tell, you know, if you ask somebody what it was that brought them to faith, um, you know, it's a combination of realizing the sweetness of God and the sourness of this world. And those two things combined um, compel people to run to Jesus. We'll continue today's conversation with Tullian Tavidjan, pastor and author on today's program. Stay tuned. Next time, our guest will be longtime broadcaster Al Sanders. We never sat down to say, this is what we want to do for our future. We want to be here in this square at this particular time, and this square another particular time. We just began, and God brought blessing upon blessing. You've heard Al Sanders' voice for many years on Christian Radio, and you'll meet him next time on First Person. My guest on First Person today, Pastor Tullian Chavidjan, who is senior pastor at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida. And uh, that church in itself has been uh, the point of some controversy. I don't think now, but it was at one time, wasn't it, Tullian? Yeah, it depends on which controversy you're talking about. It could be the controversy prior to my getting there. <laughs> well, I was referring to you, actually. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the church for... Dr. Kennedy, the founding pastor of Coral Ridge, become a lightning rod for various reasons. He was very involved politically, and um, so uh, the church endured numerous controversies before I got there. And then when I arrived in the spring of 2009, it was actually the result of a merger. The church that I had planted back home in South Florida in 2003 which was five and a half years old at the time, merged with Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Dr. Kennedy had died in 2007. He was the founding pastor, um, and they were in the unique position Coral Ridge was to try and find their next pastor. Um, So they approached me, and uh, I said, I'm honored, I'm humbled, but I'm not interested. And then they came back to me a second time, and again, I said, I'm honored, I'm humbled, but I'm not interested. And then they came back to me a third time, and that's when we started talking about the possibility of merging the two churches. And so after a meticulous due diligence process, uh, all of those involved decided that this is, in fact, what God wanted us to do. And so in April of 2009, the two churches came together as one new church. We oftentimes hear about church is splitting. Mm-hmm. We don't typically hear about churches coming together and merging, and we knew it was going to be hard. I mean, you merge anything. You merge two families, you merge two businesses, you merge two churches. Any kind of merger is difficult. It's always painful. So we anticipated that it was going to be hard. I don't think we anticipated that it was going to be as hard as it became. Probably the most despairing desperate months of my life in reality. And I don't think we Um, need to go into all the details on that, but it did provide one of the uh, impetuses for you to write your book uh, called Glorious Ruin, did it not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it was God became more real to me in the crucible of that particular season of ache than in any, than in any other time in my life. Um, when you come to the end of your rope, 
and when you hit a brick wall and when things begin really falling apart and things that you've been depending on to make your life worth living start slipping away and you're left with nothing except God and his sustaining grace, it awakens you. Hmm. And that's exactly what happened to me. That, that entire experience became the impetus for this book because the primary the primary purpose of this book is not to show that suffering is just the big bad things like death and disease and divorce and depression. Suffering includes all life. It includes tension and relational stress and anxiety and, you know, all of those sorts of things, uh, unmet expectations and shattered dreams. And when you begin to define suffering that way, you begin to realize from our birthday to our death day, we never, ever experience a completely pain-free moment, hmm. ever. So the book is really about living life as a broken person with other broken people in a broken world and how the gospel of God's amazing grace touches down in our brokenness and saves us not from our pain, but saves us in our pain. And that's what I experienced during that murder. And uh, the story of Coral Ridge, by the way, is told in your book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, so people can refer to that. But your newest is Glorious Ruin. But even before you came to Coral Ridge, at least I think it happened beforehand, you were devastated by the divorce of your parents, which happened after 40 years of marriage. It, that sort of added to this whole picture, didn't it? Yeah, that happened That happened about five years before the Coral Ridge merger. And it was an absolute game changer for me. I mean, as, I, as I've said before, um, I grew up in a remarkable Christian home, and my parents were wonderful parents. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of secrets, and, you know, there wasn't fakeness and all that stuff. I mean, what, what happened in the course of my parents' divorce had nothing to do with immorality or abuse or anything like that. Um, but I get a phone call one day. Uh, from my dad, I'm a grown man now with, you know, three kids. And I get a phone call from my dad telling me that he and my mother had separated Mm. and he wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. He sounded very, very sad and very, very dejected. And, uh, over the next year we watched their relationship just fizzle away and ultimately end in divorce. And it was, it was a complete shocker to us. Hmm. I mean, my dad being a psychologist and helping people through relational turmoil, my mom having written books on marriage and family and them being relatively well-known, certainly my mom being the daughter of Billy Graham and, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, a relatively high-profile couple who ends their marriage after 41 years, it was an absolute shocker to us. This is, you know, 10 years ago now. We're still feeling the effects of it. Um, But that there there again, I think, and the story that I tell in the book is I never realized how much of my identity, how much of my worth and value was anchored in who my parents were Mm -hmm. and my being the son of my parents until who my parents were became an embarrassment to me. Yeah, and and you talk about in the book going to your friend Larry Crabb, our friend Larry Crabb, yeah. really kind of helped, didn't he? He really did. I called him on the phone, uh, and I just said, Larry, I need help. I mean, I don't know what to do. He knew my dad and had worked with my dad for numerous years and had counseled my mom and dad. And uh, he just, he provided some remarkably rich counsel for me. He began by reminding me that, Suffering doesn't come our way as a burden to be fixed. 
And that was big for me because so much of the pressure I was feeling as the son of my parents during that time was I needed to fix them. I needed to fix my dad. I needed to fix my mom. And ultimately, I needed to fix their relationship. And the burden was on me and my siblings to fix them. Yeah. And Larry reminded me that, um, you know, I don't need to bear that burden. In fact, he said, you have an opportunity now <laughs> uh, to apply the gospel of grace to your parents in a way that you've never had to do it before, Um, which was just remarkable to me. I mean, absolutely remarkable to me uh, that he would offer that kind of perspective. And I got to be honest, I mean, it absolutely set me free. I mean, it completely set me free because I I didn't feel the burden anymore of having to fix them, of having to fix me, of having to fix their marriage. Um, So that was some great counsel that he offered. You know, as I read your book, Glorious Ruin, all I could think of was a Michael Card song. Michael has a lament song where he sings, Come lift up your sorrows, for he is wounded too. We we have uh, two or three minutes here. Talk about uh, Glorious Ruin, and we'll have to kind of cut to the chase here for the book. But ultimately, I guess we, you have surmised, are better off because we suffer. We It causes us to trust God more, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I have a friend named John Zoll who says that God's office is at the end of our rope. And that's exactly where God is. I mean, Jesus is not at the top of the ladder shouting down, climb. He's at the bottom hanging on a cross, whispering, it is finished. And I think we forget that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Hebrews tells us that he can sympathize with us because he has suffered as we have suffered. Uh, And nowhere in the Bible are we promised that God will save us from our pain in this life, but we are promised that God will save us in our pain. And we see that God saves through suffering. We look at the cross and see that God saves through suffering, not in the absence of it. And there's nothing like suffering that reminds us of just how small we are. So when any of us go through suffering, I mean, none of us want it and none of us look forward to it, but it does cause us to lean into God and and trust him more and to ultimately give thanks for even the tough things that come along. I've noticed in my own life that as much as I hate going through painful seasons, as much as I hate going through difficult times, I'm going through one right now. I have a 17-year-old son who's making some very foolish choices, and it's absolutely ripping my heart out as a dad. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I'm in a sense thanking God for for sending this difficulty our way because it's causing me, it's causing me to lean on God in ways that I haven't leaned on him. It's causing me to depend on him in brand new, fresh ways. It's, it's, it's causing me to realize just how small and not in control I am and how big and in control God is. And so as much as we hate suffering, as much as we hate pain, as much as we hate anxiety, oftentimes those are great reminders to us that we are small and God is big, that yeah. God is God and we are not. And that's ultimately what sets us free. Well, my guest today has been Tullian Tavidjan, the senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church and the author of Glorious Ruin, How Suffering Sets You Free. If you joined us a bit late and missed any part of today's interview, you can listen online at firstpersoninterview.com. At our website, we have additional information and links to Tullian and his ministry at Coral Ridge, as well as his books. Just go to the firstpersoninterview.com website and follow the links you'll find there. And then if you'd like to interact with us on Facebook, we'd love to read your comments and suggestions for guests. It's easy to find us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash first person interview. 
And we're very excited about the weeks to come, and the guests will be joining us here on First Person. Looking several weeks ahead, Michael Card will join us for our Christmas program on the weekend before the holiday. Our conversation then will focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Between now and then, I hope you'll join us each week, including next week, when our guest will be longtime radio host, Al Sanders. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. This has been First Person. First Person.